Hello everyone, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Happy to see you this morning. Absolutely. It's the first day of school. First day of school. That's right. <laughs> Happy first day of school, everyone. It's a big day um, and a fun day. And I have to give a little shout out. It's also uh, our son Eli's birthday today. Oh, 12 years old birthday, today wow. on the first day of school. So that is pretty fun. We also have another guest with us today. Joining us in the studio is Dr. Sarah Maroquin. Dr. Maroquin's specialty is general surgery and she is now practicing here in Brookings at the Brookings Health System. Welcome, Dr. Marquin. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, Dr. Marquin, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm from Oregon originally. I went to medical school in Oregon and then I moved out to um, Sioux Falls for residency. So that's why I did my training for general surgery. And then I just moved to Brookings to start my first practice here in June. Okay, so, excellent. Well, yeah. happy to have you. So you Thank moved you. in June. Moved in June. All right. Um, my husband came with me and our two kids, who are twin girls. They also just started school today. Oh, they did. Preschool. <laughs> Preschool. <laughs> excellent. Yes. All right. Yeah, so I just met Dr. Marquin, but we're best friends because yep. I also have twin <laughs> girls who are one year older. So yeah, yes, yes, yes. play dates. Awesome. Come in. <laughs> yes. We're happy she's here. Yeah. Yes. Um, as a side note, it is fascinating how many sets of twins there are amongst the physicians in Brookings. <laughs> That's what it I heard. Is. I hear it. And, and most of us had our twins before we came here. So right. it's not like some environmental factor. I don't think. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's really amazing. Excellent. So Dr. Mark, when you're um, here in Brookings with your twin daughters, you said in preschool. Excellent. What made you um, interested in Brookings or decide that Brookings would be a great place to practice? Well, I always thought I was going to practice in a small town. I grew up in a town about the size of Brookings uh, in Oregon. Um, so... I wanted to practice in this size town and this size community, and then also to be part of the community. That's kind of my goal, you know, become part of the community. And my husband is a South Dakotan. Okay. So we have, you know, South Dakota or Oregon were our choices, and, and we're happy in South Dakota. Yeah. So, yeah, we're trying to find a good fit for us. So we think Brookings will be a good fit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So. And um, you are a general surgeon. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us all a little bit more about what a general surgeon is and what you do. Well, uh, a general surgeon is kind of, we, we kind of can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we focus on preventative health. So colonoscopy, screening colonoscopies and endoscopies, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and then we also do surgery. So I do surgery on gallbladders, hernias, you know, colon cancer, breast cancer. Um, and then we also, uh, Dr. Wee, my partner, and I are going to start doing more robotic surgery. She already does a lot of robotic surgery, but then we plan to kind of bring a, a bigger robotic center here as well when we get a new robot. So with that, you can do more complex hernias and um, 
colon cancer surgeries. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's yeah. that's a lot of different areas that you are able to cover. Yeah. And um, if our listeners have questions today about any of those areas um, or anything else, uh, we encourage them to give us a call while we have Dr. Mara Quinn and Dr. Evans here to answer our yeah. questions. So we're going to be going to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Academic success is an excellent indicator for the overall well-being of youth and a primary predictor and determinant of adult health outcomes. Leading national education organizations recognize the close relationship between health and education, as well as the need to foster health and well-being within the educational environment for all students. If you find your student struggling with classwork, seek help early. The school counselors may be able to direct you to a tutor to help the student stay on course. Also talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings to have your student's health evaluated. There is a variety of issues that could be causing the poor grades, such as poor sleep or attention deficit disorder. Call today for an appointment, 605-697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today we have Dr. Kelly Evans and Dr. Sarah Marquin here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We did have a question come in before the show even started. Thank you so much for your question. Um, This caller is saying, please describe what you use MRI machines for. Yeah, it's a great question because I think there is often confusion among patients about different types of imaging that we use. And um, so MRI basically uses, it stands for magnetic resonance imaging. It uses magnets to create images as opposed to something like an X-ray or a CT or CAT scan, which uses radiation. So we can use MRI for a lot of different things. I mean, we use MRIs on things from head to toe, depending on exactly what we're looking for. Um, There, it it gets complicated and often, you know, even as I've been practicing and ordering MRIs for five years, but there are cases in which I still call the radiologist to ask what is the best type of imaging to get for the problem that I'm looking for. So common things that we use MRIs for, we use them to look at the nervous system often. So if we need to get a detailed image of the brain or the spinal cord for some reason, that's a common reason we, we use it. Um, CAT scan is, is better at looking at some kinds of structures. Um, MRI gets a little better look at the actual, some of the soft tissues, in, uh, including of the nervous system. We use them in the belly sometimes. So if we're looking for special things of um, the liver or the pancreas, sometimes we'll use an MRI instead of a CAT scan though the CAT scan would be more commonly used for typical um, belly things. And then we use MRI, our orthopedic people use MRIs a lot because it gives us looks at the soft tissue. So for example, of the knee, if you do, you know, just an x-ray, you can really just see bones on an x-ray. And so MRI gets a more detailed look at soft tissues like ligaments and meniscus and and some of those things in in the musculoskeletal system. So we can use them for a lot of different reasons. And sometimes there's very specific questions that help us decide whether we should use CAT scan or MRI or ultrasound type of imaging. 
Do you have anything to add, Dr. Marquin? No, no. I agree. Yep, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. And um, we also, for general surgery, use MRI sometimes um, if we don't want to use radiation on an abdominal, st- on abdomens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually like a pregnant lady with, uh, right. yeah, with mm-hmm. that, you know, appendicitis or something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are certain, I mean, there are certain, re, you know, people who have certain types of pacemakers really can't mm-hmm. use an mm-hmm. MRI machine. So there, if you, if people have certain types of metal in their body, there's, there are people that really can't safely get an MRI because of the magnetic stuff. Or uh-huh. if you have a lot, you yeah. know, you have a foreign body because of a traumatic accident that, and you have metal embedded in your body. There are some people who really can't safely go through an MRI scanner. So there's a, a screening process that we always go through before we put someone in that machine too. Gotcha. And the MRI MRI machine is that's the machine where you kind of lay down and you go in and they take the scan is that right yeah and I mean a cat scan is like like that too MRI machines are typically a little bit slower depending on the study so you know sometimes people with claustrophobia have a little more Mm -hmm. trouble in an MRI especially if they're getting it of their head or neck Um, but that's something to just talk to the physician about when when you're talking about getting the imaging study Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that question. If there are other questions out there, give us a call at 605-692-1430. We mentioned a little about um, colonoscopies earlier this morning, and we'd like to talk some more about those. Dr. Marquin, tell us about why um, you mentioned that colonoscopies are a preventative service. Tell us more about that. Um, so a colonoscopy, for everyone who doesn't know exactly what it is, is a procedure where we look at your entire colon from the bottom to the, uh, where it hooks up to the small bowel, and we're looking for cancer or polyps. So we call it preventative medicine because if there's polyps in there, we can take those out while we do the procedure and uh, prevent them from turning into cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just changed the screening guidelines. Should we talk about that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the screening guidelines initially uh, were recommending starting your screening colonoscopies at 50, but they now recommend starting them at 45. Um, so yeah. get your screening colonoscopies done. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. At yeah. age 45. At age 45. Um, and that's my understanding is that's really based on just epidemiologic data that we've yeah. had a a larger number of cancers in that 45 to 50 mm-hmm. range that are presenting at an advanced stage, correct? Yes, so we'd like to catch those people, you know, before their age 50 colonoscopy and, and prevent some of those young people from going through a bad cancer. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it can be a bad cancer yeah. if it's caught late. Yeah. So this is a way to either catch it early or prevent it from happening. Yeah. Um, and then how often do you need a colonoscopy? So it, it depends on what you find in the colonoscopy. If your colonoscopy has, you know, normal, without any kind of polyps, you can go every 10 years. Mm. Um, But if there are polyps, it it depends on the size of the polyp, what type of polyp it is, and how many. It can be three to five years, sometimes even as early as one year if we need to. So it Mm -hmm. it is kind of dependent on what we find. Gotcha. And family history can make a difference in those recommendations, too. So if you have a parent or a sibling who's had colon cancer, you might even start screening earlier, depending on when they had colon cancer. So it's important to make sure your doctor knows about your family history and the frequency. So if you had a parent with colon cancer, you don't get to go 10 years, right? We want to do it at least every five years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. and then, oh, go ahead. I just say I'm thinking ahead and doing the math when I'll need my first colonoscopy. <laughs> and um, I know it's common for people to maybe have some anxiety yeah. or just like, yeah. oh, I'm not really sure I want to do this. Um, 
talk us through a little bit about why it is important. Is it a big deal? Is it not that big of a deal? Um, what can we um, do to help people prep for that? Yeah, you know, a colonoscopy is a procedure, and unfortunately, you do have to do a bowel prep beforehand. So you mm -hmm. do have to clean your bowel out, which I think is what people have more anxiety about than the procedure itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the bowel preps have become better and more tolerable yes. with less volume. So I think those are okay. Yeah. Um, and then the procedure itself takes, you know, anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes where we look at the whole colon. During that time, patients are essentially asleep, but not put all the way asleep. Right. Um, so most people are very comfortable and don't really remember it. Mm -hmm. um, and then afterwards, we're able to, you know, get up, eat, and walk around normally quite mm -hmm. quickly. So I think from a standpoint of being anxious yes it is a procedure and there are some risks um but the benefits uh, outweigh the risks significantly mm -hmm, that yeah. it's worth doing it even though it's a little bit of uncomfortable yeah at right. first yeah Got i would it. say in my experience you know i have some patients who you know maybe they had their first colonoscopy 10 or 11 years ago and then have more recently gone through another one and they come back and say oh that prep was way better than the last time yeah. I did it because yeah. we ha that has been modified to make it a lot more tolerable for patients while still effective. So, yeah. you know, for anyone who's like, I'm never doing that again because they had to drink the gallons of Go Lightly or whatever yeah. <laughs> 10 years we ago, don't use Go it's, Lightly it's not anymore. that bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so think about it. And then, yeah, I think the prep is, is what makes people the yeah. most hesitant about it. It's not, you know, it's not a fun thing and you got to kind of figure out how to make it work for a work schedule for people who are still working. But yeah, it's it's hopefully something you don't have to do very often and right. you yeah. can rest easy after that. So yeah, yeah. important results. That's great. Well, we're going to go to our next break. We did have a couple questions come in, so we'll get to those when we come back. And if anyone else has a question, we encourage you to give us a call. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605 692 1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Skin cancer is the most common cancer in the United States. Unprotected skin can be damaged by the sun's UV rays in less than 15 minutes. Even if it's cool and cloudy, you still need protection. UV rays, not the temperature, do the damage. Anyone can get skin cancer, but some things put you at higher risk. The most common signs of skin cancer are changes on your skin, such as a new growth, a sore that doesn't heal, or a change in a mole. Tips to avoid skin cancer include stay in the shade, especially during the late morning through mid-afternoon, Apply sunscreen and reapply every two hours. SPF of 30 or greater is recommended. Have your skin checked regularly and have it checked by a professional at your wellness checks. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today we have Dr. Kelly Evans and Dr. Sarah Marquin here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Thank you for your questions today. We had a follow-up question regarding MRI. If you have to have an MRI, how long does it take? 
Yeah, that also depends on the specific study that's being done. So um, it, de- it would depend on a few factors. It would depend on how large the area is of MRI is being done. So, you know, there are some people for neurologic conditions that we have to do MRIs from their brain all the way down to the bottom of their spinal cord, and those can take a, quite a long time. So it, it depends on the area. It also depends on whether there's going to be no contrast or yes contrast, because sometimes with the contrasted studies, you have to go through the scanner twice, actually. Um, so it's hard to answer that. Um, I would say probably as little as... 10 minutes to as much as 30 minutes maybe for a study or maybe even more than that. Like I said, if you're doing a a full um, spinal cord study and with and without contrast, it could be even longer than that, maybe up to an hour even. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Yeah, it but yeah, it depends on a lot of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So but those are all questions that you can get answered either by talking to your doctor or by talking to someone in the radiology or scheduling department before your study just so you know what to expect. Yeah, that is always helpful if you have a decent understanding of what to expect. You yeah. know, it kind of reminds yeah. me of good to be going surprised. back to school. We have these yes. school days. We take our kids. We let them meet their teachers, see where to put their things. They know what to expect. So right. when we go today, everything feels a little bit better. So yeah, yeah nice to know what to expect yeah. ahead of time. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Excellent question. Uh, a different question here. The patient has been told that a prescription drug is causing vomiting of most foods and liquids. How common is this reaction to a drug? Let's start with that question first. Oh, I, it would depend on the drug. I mean, so every every drug makeup has its own unique sort of profile of common adverse effects. And there are, you know, there's, I would say there are some drugs in which vomiting can be a common side effect, but it's, it's not that common or, you know, I mean, my job is prescribing a lot of drugs. It doesn't, I don't come up against vomiting as a problem very often, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. So I I wouldn't say it's super frequent with the exception of certain chemotherapeutics and some of those types of medications. Um, And certainly vomiting in particular would be a side effect that I would expect to start pretty soon after you started the drug and stop pretty immediately after stopping the drug, whereas there are some drug side effects that can come on even if you've been on the drugs for years. So I would expect there to be a more of a timely correlation with that as a side effect. But yeah, it can depend a lot on the on the prescription itself. Okay. Yeah. And this um, caller also asked, how damaging is the constant vomiting over the months it takes to discover the reaction? Yeah. I mean, first I would say it sounds unfortunate if, if this person was vomiting for months and had a hard time discovering the source of it. But, you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes medication side effects can be difficult to sort out, especially if people are on many medications. Um depends on the severity and frequency of vomiting, quite honestly. I mean, vomiting can certainly be benign, but, you know, I would say the biggest thing that I would be concerned about, depending on the patient's age and and other mental conditions, would be their nutritional state. You know, are they not getting enough calories? But certainly, I mean, and Dr. Marquin can attest to, you know, protracted vomiting can cause damage to the esophagus mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And, and it's obviously very psychologically distressing. Like no one no one likes vomiting. So there can be some other GI effects of protracted vomiting um, that are less common. But yeah. 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 So if someone is experiencing vomiting mm-hmm. kind of repetitively and they... They're not sure it could be caused from a drug, could be um, probably important to reach out to your provider right Definitely, away. Definitely, yeah. I mean, vomiting, in the, 
I mean, vomiting for with a, like a, a GI viral illness would not be uncommon to last to, for two to three days. But if someone's vomiting for weeks on end, that would be abnormal. And you should absolutely be talking to your doctor about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and reflex, I hear sometimes about that, you know, not necessarily vomiting, but just the reflex and the, the burning and the throat and all of that. Um, Dr. Markman, do you want to talk a little bit about what we can do to look for things like that or how to... Yeah. identify causes for some of that? Yeah, so there could be a lot of causes of reflux. Um, and most of the time we do try to treat it medically first. And so going to your primary care doctor and seeing if they have some type of medication, usually a, a PPI or proton pump inhibitor, mm -hmm. and giving medication a try because that does usually help. But if it doesn't help, then um, there's a couple of good studies we do just to make sure there's not an abnormality with the esophagus or with the stomach. One of them is an endoscopy, so kind of like a colonoscopy that we talked about, but we look through your mouth at your esophagus, stomach, and the small intestine. Um, and sometimes we do other imaging studies, such as an esophagram or, or sometimes even a CT scan to see if there's some other cause of this. Um, and then depending on what we find, um, we either can treat it because there can be a whole host of things that cause this. Um, sometimes it leads to surgery, but sometimes it just leads to different types of medication management. Okay. What are some of the more common causes that you um, I think a lot of it, um, a lot of the common causes are either um, producing too much acid, okay. um, and then it kind of reflects up from what we call a... Um, lower esophageal sphincter, which is the part kind of where your esophagus connects to your stomach, is kind of loose. So then when you eat the food, it, it reflects back. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the more common causes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and there's things that can make that worse. I mean, yeah. I always tell my patients if we're initially trying to treat reflux, to decrease their caffeine intake, mm -hmm. try to eliminate alcohol intake, smoking and tobacco can make this worse. So there are some simple things that people can do with lifestyle in addition to some pretty simple once a day medications that can mm -hmm. really, you're right, it helps most people. And, I, and usually does, we yeah. try to treat people, I would say 90 plus percent of the time people feel a lot better, even have elimination of symptoms and then don't end up having to see someone like Dr. Mark when yeah. about it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it, this is a, reflux is very common mm -hmm. um, at, for people to have at least some at some point in their life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc. And uh, we do have another question we'll address. And if others have questions, now is a great time to get those calls in. We will re you can give us a call at 605-692-1430 with any of your medical questions. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. If you have arthritis, participating in joint-friendly physical activity can improve your arthritis pain, function, mood, and quality of life. Joint-friendly physical activities are low impact, which means that they put less stress on the body, reducing the risk of injury. Examples of joint-friendly activities include walking, biking, and swimming. Being physically active can also delay the onset of arthritis-related disabilities and help people with arthritis manage other chronic conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings to learn more about managing arthritis. Call for an appointment at 605-697-9500. 
Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today we have Dr. Kelly Evans and Dr. Sarah Marquin here to answer our medical questions. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. We are going to shift a little bit towards COVID-19 and um, get an update about that now. Dr. Evans, what are we seeing in our community now regarding COVID-19? Oh, Laura, I dang know. it. I wish that <laughs> I wish that we weren't still talking about this, but here I we are. Know. So unfortunately, we are seeing an uptake in cases, and, yeah. and I think it has to do with a few factors. Um, you know, South Dakota, I think our numbers of fully vaccinated people are hovering right around that 60% mark. Um, this, this Delta variant, which is, I think, the vast majority, and we practically all of our cases in South Dakota and the U.S. at this point. It just seems to be more transmissible. Um, we're seeing more cases among kids, probably just because kids have been back to more normal settings at this point. So, you know, I, will, I, I along with every parent, has, has some worries about, um, you know, going back to school and hoping our kids can stay healthy. But the the short story is that we are definitely seeing it again. It's it's on our radar. We're preparing for a, another surge. And right. Here we are. You know, I don't think we're unique among states. Obviously, there are a lot of states that are really having problems with a surge right now and their um, healthcare capacity. Which I I I truly maybe I was naive, but I thought that we wouldn't be having it. You know, discussions about actually healthcare resources ever again once right. we got a, a good segment of, of people vaccinated, but. I was wrong. There are places where that's a problem right now in the right. South. So, yeah. Right. Uh, I know even um, here at the radio station, we wore masks most of last most of the last year. We kind of took a break this summer yeah. when things were better. Yep. But here we are sitting with our masks I on know. again. Uh, so are, do you think that's a good idea, Dr. Evans, to be wearing masks? I do right now. now. I mean, so I, I don't want to minimize vac- vaccines still are highly effective. Okay. You know, we, we know that they're they're very, very effective at keeping people from getting very sick. So Mm -hmm. as far as hospitalization and certainly death, vaccines are very protective. There is some data that that people, at least for a short period of time, vaccinated people may still be able to transmit virus. If I get some in my nose, even though it doesn't make me sick, maybe I could pass it on. So I think that's the biggest rationale for for still masking, even though you're vaccinated in close contact with other people. Um, And knowing that we have a big segment of the population, including everyone under 12 who isn't vaccinated you know i think we should at least be mindful of it but i had been going you know my rear trips into the grocery store without a mask for probably a couple of months and i'm i'm back in them um and i i think it's wise to for people to think about that at least Mm -hmm. yeah all right we did have a question um regarding vaccines um let's see it says we've not heard as much about the moderna vaccine just wondering about its efficacy when um, will we need a booster? And when w- will it also receive FDA approval? Yeah. So there's a lot of questions in there. there are a lot so of questions in there. I would say for all practical purposes, from the data that we have seen, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines appear to be equivalent. So I don't think that you're hearing less about the Moderna for any, you know, good reason. It's not it's not in 
inferior at all. Um, they're the same technology. It's really the same the same vaccine with a different brand and maybe a little bit different how it was studied. Okay, um, so Pfizer got approval. I mean, part of getting FDA approval is just getting enough data submitted. So it may be a re- like partly you know Pfizer is a bigger drug company. They may have more resources to get data published and submitted faster. And I don't think there's any big reason bigger than that that Moderna is lagging behind there. So I, I I don't necessarily recommend one over the other. But if there are people out there that were legitimately waiting for FDA approval, we do have Pfizer that is FDA approved and, and both are widely available at this point. Mm-hmm. What does it mean that it's FDA approved? Like, how does that change things for for those of us? Considering vaccination. I suppose there's a finality of having known that the FDA has reviewed a lot of sort of the late data on these vaccine trials um, as opposed to more preliminary data. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, just be how this has all gone. You know, I I obviously wasn't one who waited for FDA approval. I thought the data was excellent when it when I had it available to me first many months ago. Um, But all of those regulatory hoops have now been jumped through for that vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right. So now is the time to get that vaccine. If, if, you, you if you've it. been waiting, yep. then yes, now is the time. And then there was also a question about boosters. <clears throat> what are we learning about boosters? Yeah. So certainly boosters or third, third shots um, are currently recommended for people who have an immunosuppressed status for any reason. So that could be a disease state. It could be someone who's had an organ transplant. It could be someone who's on a medication that's immunosuppressive or getting cancer treatment. That's the status quo. There's a lot of buzz about there about whether we should be recommending third doses for all adults. And I think the verdict is still out about that. You know, there, there's, there's been talk that the, the FDA may recommend that for everyone after it, as soon as eight months after their second vaccine, which for most people would be towards the end of the year around here. Um, from the data we have still says like our our immunity is pretty dang good that far out so i don't feel super strongly that like everyone needs to be running out to get their third vaccine you know me because i'm going to be in contact with sick people i will get mine if it's if it's recommended but honestly i think it's far more important for our population to get the unvaccinated people their first and second vaccines i think that makes a huger difference in our community Mm mm-hmm so, okay. but that recommendation may come in the next couple of months. Yeah. So we'll stay I know tuned. there are people watching for it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Keep the update on that. Very good. Well, we're about to wrap up with our time this morning. Dr. Marquin, it's been so nice to have you here. Um, it's an interesting time to join a practice, yes. to start a practice mm-hmm. yes, in the middle <laughs> of a pandemic. Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about what it's been like to, to dive in at this time? Well, yes, it has. It's definitely a different time. Um, you know, I felt it in residency too, yes. um, in Sioux Falls, where you know all the surgeries kind of slowed down and they picked back up. Um, I think one of the big things that we we saw as well is that all the preventative, mm-hmm. you know, colonoscopies and, and upper endoscopies also got pushed to the side. Yeah. All the mammograms got pushed to the side, and so we kind of saw a surge of everyone coming back again. Mm-hmm. So I think. It will be interesting to see what happens in the next year in yeah. my practice where I think we'll see another surge of, you know, slowing down all the preventative medicine and then kind of yeah. getting a surge of a little more breast cancer, a little more yeah. colon cancer. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's. A weird time. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, well. none of us want to yeah. see that 
important routine care get slowed down like yeah. we had to initially. I think we we the the difference this time is that we do have adequate PPE supplies and yeah. and we feel like we know how to prevent infection in our healthcare workers, which was a real worry and question mark last spring when when all this started. So I'm hopeful we won't have to go there, but you know, in some places where they really are having problems with hospital capacity, they yeah. are pausing elective I'm using mm-hmm. big air quotation marks about elective procedures yep. because you know that's as any surgeon knows that's a hard term to define it sure, it sure is <laughs> yeah right, right. So. absolutely well so nice to have both of you here today thank you so much yeah, and thank be- you yes and before we go please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central Tonight's ep- or tomorrow night's episode on August 26th will be an encore episode from earlier this year with Prairie Doc host Kelly Evans discussing protecting and repairing your bones and joints with Dr. Keith Baumgarten of Orthopedic Institute. They address viewers' orthopedic-related questions. So you can tune in for that tomorrow night. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library, visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans and Dr. Sarah Marquin for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>